Hello and welcome to Asia Rising, a podcast in which we look at the news, events and general happenings of Asia's states and societies. I'm your host, Matt Smith, and today I'm joined by Professor Nick Bisley, Director of La Trobe Asia. On the 22nd of May 2014, the Royal Thai Armed Forces, led by General Prayuth Chanocha, launched a coup against the democratically elected government, dissolved the Senate and established a junta to govern the nation. Here to discuss these tumultuous happenings in Thailand is the director of La Trobe Asia, Professor Nick Bisley. Thanks for joining me, Nick. Thanks, Matt. It'd be good to start this podcast with a bit of background. So can you break down what the current status is in Thailand and what happened to get it to the point that it is now? The Thai political system has had real challenges since 1932, really because they've never been able to find the balance that's necessary between the electoral system, the monarchy and the military in which everyone's kind of happy with the way in which the political outcomes that balance produces. And so, in general, what we've got in recent times has been a democratic system that yields political outcomes with which the military and the royalists are unhappy. And that's something that's always bedeviled democracies, which is, will you get what some people, classical political theorists have said, the kind of tyranny of the majority, i.e. you get the multitude support, an outcome which... The ruling elite don't like. And in essence, what you've got in Thailand really over the past 80 or 90 years has been a situation in which tensions between what political system delivers and sort of vested interests of the ruling elites are has produced the military weighing in on a pretty regular basis. So at the moment, we've got a military coup and the real the real stimulus for that was the, the disconnect between the ruling class and the, and the general population, hasn't it? So that caused a lot of discontent in uh, Bangkok in particular. Well, what it really derives from is from 2001. So this is the election of uh, Thaksin Shinawatra. So Thaksin was often referred to as Thailand's Berlusconi in the sense that he's this self-made, extraordinarily rich man, Thailand's richest man by an enormous margin, media mogul, huge range of interests, and all the challenges that you get with that. So that if you're the prime minister and the country's richest man, there are some big conflicts of interest. So right there, there was always going to be some challenges. But more than that, what uh, Taksin brought was a style of politics that the old ruling elite of Bangkok weren't happy with. It was conspicuous consumption. It was a sense that he was I mean, not just nouveau riche, but was challenging the kind of norms that have been around, particularly the royalist norms that had, that had accompanied uh, the king. And the king is hugely revered figure in Thailand. And then most importantly, what he did was a series of very populist policies to try to redistribute wealth and to shore up his political support to the impoverished parts of northern Thailand. Thailand is one of these countries in which you have a capital city that dominates all the other cities. And in fact, there's no other meaningful cities as we would imagine them. Bangkok and there's no one else. All the others are relatively small towns in comparison. Uh, so the rural population is quite distributed. But what Taksin realised was the numbers, if he could get them, would always play in his favour. So he created a situation that was quite unusual, which was a kind of nouveau riche, populist, but also kind of demagogic redistributor of wealth. Outside observers were often quite conflicted in what they thought. You know, had sort of liberals who'd look at him and go, we don't like these conflicts of interest and all of this sort of stuff. But he's redistributing wealth and he's, you know, this, you know the, the poor like him, the, the benighted class of northern thailand like him so there's got to be something good there that sort of political story that he did that combination of factors really undermined and threatened a lot of the interests of the bangkok ruling elite 
that's the military and the royalist intelligentsia and key figures in business. And they saw Taksin as a real challenge and precipitated the 2006 coup. It was a relatively short coup. That's to say the military junta in place only remained in place for about a relatively short period of time. They charged him with a range of crimes, corruption, abusing office and the like, and so he has had to flee. Uh, and the, the thinking now amongst that group was they didn't stay in power long enough. So when they relinquished military rule and brought back democracy, not surprisingly, the Shinawatra group, now headed by his sister, Yinglat, has sort of taken on the mantle and then was able to clean up the ballot boxes in the election of 2010, from memory. And essentially he'd been ruling, I mean, the thinking is he's been by ruling proxy. by proxy from yeah. Dubai. Yep. And you know, we saw in the past few years those popular protests, and particularly the red shirts and the yellow shirts oh. and the colours relate to the sort of factions. So the yellow is the royalist, and yellow being the king's colour, supporting the kind of military vested in, in the interests of the status quo, and red supporting the North Thailand tax in Shinawatra supporters. So that has been playing out, and frankly, it looked as if at some point the military was going to intervene. Yeah, yeah. So it's clear that from from their perspective and from the, the ruling class, so to speak, perspective that they didn't get the job done back in 2006 okay we're going to do a proper go of it now so the military coup is being led by general chan ocha and they're doing it under the guise of restoring democracy so is that a sincere claim that that's the intention behind it no one buys the idea that they're going to restore democracy in the sense that you and i would think of it that's to say you know an open fair election in which one person one vote leads to a consensus accepted outcome I think it's very hard to imagine the military giving up power to return to a system in which the numbers favour Shinawatra. But don't forget, in East Asia, democracy is still a relatively new thing and the different ways in which democracy is understood. What I think lies behind the aim of the military right now in particular is to establish a political system that's generally democratic in the broad sense of the word, you know, sort of free expression, free assembly, free association, rule of law, with probably some tweaking around the electoral side of things. But what's really making this coup and the period of rule, military rule, I think particularly uncertain is the life of the king. The fact that he's very unwell. He's in his 80s. and He hasn't been seen in public for quite a while. Quite a long time, yeah. And in fact, what was interesting was when the coup first occurred, it was pretty clear they didn't get royal permission for it in the first instance. Then it became clear within, I think, a week or so that the palace approved of it. But that was unusual. In the past, when the military have stepped in, they've almost always done so with royal blessing. And that has been an important part of the broader political stabilising sort of force. What we've got now is a period in which there's a real uncertainty about what the Thai political system in the long run is going to look like. The king's been around for 60-plus years on the throne and no one can imagine what the Thai political system would look like without him there. Well, his heir is widely unpopular. And his heir is a good friend of Taksin Shinawatra. Ah. So that's where there's a real puzzle. Yeah, uh, yeah. Also in Thailand, the thing to remember is the military began life as the king's bodyguard. Military officers in Thailand swear allegiance to the king every year on his birthday it is not just a, a question of we serve king and country and we say these sort of nice general things. There is a genuine affinity between the monarchy and the military. But that has always been about King Adulidet, 
and quite what the relationship is to the air, no one really knows, except for the fact that I mean, there's a lot of scuttlebutt about them being very uneasy about this guy. Yeah. Who's seen as, you know, a layabout, he's kind of a bit of a playboy figure, not not the sort of austere, hardworking figure that his father is and certainly is regarded as. So there's a sense that what this coup is is about is not only the unfinished business of 2006 and keep the Shinawatra movement at bay, but it's also about trying to resolve the succession problem and to establish a Thai political order with which the military is going to be comfortable and which the values of king, country, nation can be sustained. The question a lot of us have is when you look at Thailand, the one constant has been the king. And whatever you think of it, the king's ability to stabilise political unrest, to bring the population with him, has been quite considerable and an important part of the success of Thailand. Without him, and with uncertainty around monarchy more generally, it's very difficult to see quite where Thailand goes. Not to say it's all downhill and it's a catastrophe. Yeah. The king dies, the whole system's going to collapse. But he and the institution is absolutely crucial to the stability of Thailand and what it has been. And so what the military, I think, is really interested in is stabilising the broad forces, keeping those popular street protests out of the way whilst some sort of settlement is reached to work out what's going to happen when the old man goes. The problem is we don't know how long the old man is going to hang on for. I mean, he could be unwell, but you can be unwell for five or six years. Um, Do we have a regent? And more importantly, can you get a different heir? Now, in... Absolute monarchies, and to some degree, whilst Thailand is a constitutional monarchy formally, if the king were to say, it's no longer the layabout, it's now my more hardworking daughter or whomever he could choose, then there may be a way around it. So it's, it's not impossible, but there are a lot of uncertainties around all of this. And that's why I think when you, you're looking out to see how long is military rule going to last and what are we going to get in its place, it's very difficult to see this ending soon. And it's also very difficult to work out just quite what's going to come. So with the military coup clamping down on Thailand democracy so much, ostensibly in the name of restoring democracy, do you think they're going about it sincerely, I suppose is the way to do it, So, with the arrest of politicians, with the curbing of freedom of speech, with a 10pm curfew in place Mm. in the city? Yeah, the only time they've allowed non-sort of propaganda TVs for the World Cup. All World Cup games free. Yeah. Free to air. Well, it's That's not bread bad. and circuses, yeah. I guess. But it's pretty worrying what they've done. In fact, I think the, the clampdown has been more forceful this time around than it was uh, in the past. And I think that reflects these bigger concerns around the longer-term story that they're trying to work out. Are they sincere? They said election late next year. That's a long That's, way. Yeah, you know, you wouldn't put your house on it mm. and that happening. What a lot of liberal observers are hoping is that the current pretty nasty clampdown comes to an end pretty quickly mm. and that some kind of interim government can be established in which, okay, we don't have elections and we don't have the kind of gold standard of democracy that you'd like, but in which you can get on with markets operating, in which people can go about their daily life, in which people can express criticism of governments and the like without winding up in jail. Mm. Problem is this guy, the general, Chana Choi, he is a fairly hardline guy. He's almost a bit of a cliche of, of a military dictatorship. You know, he never smiles and very famous for having a, 
uh, hot temper and and berating people and the like and you know classic military guys of disdain for civilians and democratic life so i think on balance most observers are pretty pessimistic about the short term certainly the rest of this year i think the likelihood of things being wound back and some return to sort of normal democratic life thailand has produced a political culture that seems unable to compromise this year has shown there's a line beyond which the military is not prepared to go unless there's some shift in attitudes from from the military it's very difficult to see a situation which a political order can be established in which everyone feels they have at least some stake the cycle is going to continue from all reports on the street, though, from the general Thai, things are a lot quieter now. General Chan Ocha has been running uh, his, his happiness campaigns to make things happier, and there's been concerts and free movie tickets, and horses have been led down the street for people to pat. The curfew and the crackdown has been making things a lot quieter and more peaceful mm. on, on the surface. So is this... I know, I know it's a strange question to ask in some ways, but is this a good thing for the Thai people? The immediate impetus for this was to try to break the circuits of these huge demonstrations and the, the kind of street battles that were disrupting life pretty significantly. And they wanted to break that circuit and break that cycle. And in that, I think a lot of people have some sympathy. The problem, I think, is that and these efforts that, that they're undertaking at the moment, whether it's the football, whether it's you know, happy campaigns and free movie tickets as an effort to kind of pacify people, that's fine, and that makes some sense in the short term. But in the longer run, you're not really addressing the underlying sources of those street battles. The people are out on the street, uh, whether it's the, the red shirts who are out because they feel not just that their man has been dealt with unfairly, but that the economic policies that he put in place that benefited them are going to be taken away and they will basically go backwards in terms of where they're at. I still think no amount of efforts to try to calm people down unless they address these underlying issues, are going to really provide a long-term solution to the Thai political problem. All right, thanks for your time today. Thanks, Matt. That's Professor Nick Bisley, Director of La Trobe Asia, and you can follow him on Twitter. He's at Nick Bisley. You've been listening to Asia Rising, a podcast looking at the news, events, and general happenings of Asia's states and societies. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, share the podcast with your friends, or leave us a review. If you want more news on Latrobe Asia, why don't check out their website? It's at www.latrobe.edu.au forward slash Asia. Thanks for listening.